Well, today we have moved ahead to Psalm 84. Last Sunday it was Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph, or Asaph, some people call him. Um, and uh, this one today is, is when we did get to it, it is a rendering from the sons of Korah, uh, which we dealt with the 42 and 43 a few weeks ago, which was also written by the sons of Korah. Uh, I've entitled this one, Abiding in God's Dwelling Place. My challenge today, and, and I appreciate your prayer, my challenge today is to not let this become too ethereal. Um, but also, I don't want to be utilitarian today. I don't want to just, I don't want to just offer, uh, how-tos. And I don't want to offer step one, step two, step three today. You're going to have to hear the Holy Spirit today or I'm going to bore you to death. Now, some of you say, well, that's nothing new. I've learned how to deal with that. (laughs) What we're going to see in this psalm is that place in God that we were made to live. We were created to live in this place that the sons of Korah uh, identify for us. One of the first things we're going to see in this passage is our need for God's life. Let's all say that together. Our need for God's life. Need. Um, Paul writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, body discipline is only of little profit. He didn't say no profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That we, and we'll spend some time there at the beginning of the psalm, but we need that life. And what we do to our bodies is important. What we do to our spirit and our soul is more important. And we need to understand that. We're also going to see the psalmist take us to a place where we understand about finding our strength in Him. We all too often, especially us men or men folk, we all too often try to find strength in ourselves, in our, in our machoism. Let me just tell you that masculinity and machoism are two different and in my opinion opposing things. When I, you hear me talk about manliness, I'm not talking about macho. I'm talking about masculine. And then he'll finish out by uh, dealing with uh, the passage one day in the courts of our protector. I'll never forget uh, when we were in uh, Del Rio, Texas, uh, about to go across the border into Acuna, Mexico. And we were gathered together on a morning to worship, probably do some worship, praise and worship. Don was there. I forget who all was playing and singing. There was another group with us, and I want to say they were from St. Louis, uh, not our sister church in St. Louis, but it was another group, and they began to sing that song. I I don't know about everybody else. That's the first time I'd ever heard it. Better is one day in the courts of our God. And boy, of course, we came back, and immediately Don started singing that song on Sunday mornings. And so that's where it comes from. So I'm going to read Psalm 84, verses 1 through 12. And if um, 
I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you can and you would, if you would stand while we read the Word of God, which reads, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now, in the Hebrew, the words to Zion do not appear, so your Bible, your, your version may not have that. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. You can be seated. May the Lord add his anointing and awareness to the reading of the scripture. This psalm is divided into three stanzas, and that's how we're going to deal with it. And each stanza is marked by the word Selah at the end of the stanza. And so the first stanza, I've just used this subtitle, My Soul Longs. My Soul Longs. I want to tell you today that your soul longs for God whether you realize it or not. Whether you realize it or not, your soul longs and needs God, God's hand, and God's presence. Your soul longs, my soul longs for the courts of the Lord. What happens in the courts? There's praise. There's honor. There's respect. There's all of the things that happen in the courts of a king. Because he calls them my God and my king. He says, my heart and my flesh... Cry out. You could reword that to say my body and my soul, all my desires, all my aspirations, long and cry out for God. Now, you think, well, I can't live there all the time. Yeah, you can. So I heard people say, well, I'd like to just live down at the church house all the time and worship God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, I mean, that's that's somewhat of a good aspiration, but God gave you a job. You can't just quit your job and go do that. But there's got to be, and there is, a part of you that longs for God himself. Please do not lean too heavily on academics Academics are very important. Do not lean heavily on all the things, the trappings of Christianity that we embrace 
And almost all of it is good stuff. Unless those things lead us to God himself. This is not about just learning principles and precepts. It's not just about learning about laws and statutes. It's not just learning information, but it's about learning God. You need God. You don't just need teaching about God. You need Him. Now you get to God through teaching. Jesus said you search the scriptures because you think in the scriptures you have eternal life. But what you don't understand is the scriptures are talking about me. The scriptures are always leading us to Jesus Christ. I can find Jesus in every book of the Bible. I'm going to do it today, but I can The scripture teaches us that we were dead. Everybody say we were dead. We were dead in trespasses and sins. How did that happen? It happened in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned immediately, humanity died. Become tainted. Began to decay. Now it took them a long time to decay because they lived like 900 years. But we, you and I, were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Ephesians 2.1 teaches us that and other passages that we were dead in our trespasses. I want us to understand that. Before you came to Christ, before Christ found you and redeemed you and regenerated you, you were dead in your tre- You wasn't physically dead. We know that. But you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead to God. Your spirit was dead. Scripture says that when we were dead in our sins, that, that we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body. And our mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. We were objects of wrath, some of the versions will say there. We were dead. I hope you get an impression that I want to tell you that you were dead. Be the dead horse. Okay, I'm sorry. Paul writes later in the same letter that we were alienated from God. This is key. Before we were regenerated by the power of God's Holy Spirit, by God's energy, we were alienated from God. Scripture teaches us that we were at enmity with God. In other words, whether we like it or not, we were enemies. Not that we were sitting around saying, God's my enemy, but our life was opposed to God and God's life. When we were alienated to God, Bible teaches us that we were calloused. We were calloused. We were, and because we were calloused and desensitized, we were, we gave ourselves to sensuality. Because we were desensitized, we tried to find some kind of a fulfillment in the, in the fulfilling or the satisfying of the five senses in some way. Y'all, y'all can relate to that. And we can also relate to the fact that if we did that long enough, we never found what we were looking for. Why? Because we were dead. We were dead. 
So I'd sure like you to get me alive real quick. We're, we're getting to that. But if we don't understand that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and that God did something for us, we won't understand the cry of the heart that the sons of Korah wrote in this first stanza. Scripture teaches us that he quickened our souls. We were dead. God quickened our souls. I, I really, and I've, heard, I've said this recently, I don't have a big problem, but I have a problem with the nomenclature or the, or the vernacular that says, I made a decision for Christ. I understand what that means because we, we have to say yes. But first of all, we didn't choose Jesus. He chose us. We couldn't even have come to him unless he chose us and gave us the grace to do so. And we were dead. And then he made us alive. God made us alive together with Christ. We were dead. Everybody say we were dead. He made us. What? Y'all sound like you're dead now. Let's do it again. (laughs) We were dead. He made us alive. That's the key. That's the key to what I'm trying to get at right here. I know you know this. You Hopefully you learned this in Sunday school. I didn't. I colored footballs in Sunday school. God made us alive together with Christ. I'm not going to turn, but there's a passage in uh, Ezekiel 37, and it's about the valley of the dry bones. God says to Ezekiel, you see those bones? Do you think those bones can be made into anything? And Ezekiel said, you, you know, Ezekiel was smart. He said, you know, Lord. And he said, prophesy. And he prophesied in the uh, rattling. It says a rattling noise came. And they came together as bones and, of course, muscle and everything, skin. He said, do you think these bones can live? And you, you know, Lord, I know you know. And God said, prophesy that the breath will come from the four winds and blow on those bones. And Ezekiel did that. And the wind and the breath came upon the bones. The Bible says the bones came together and there was no breath in them. You know what that means? They were dead. No breath. He prophesied and the Bible says breath came into them. No breath. Breath. Dead. Alive. And then it says they lived. And stood on their feet. No breath. Breath. They lived. And stood on their feet. And that is very symbolic if not applicable to what happened to us when we came to Christ. Through his grace. And we were regenerated. And we were made alive. I want to submit to you that that. That living spirit, that living soul that was dead but is now alive, we need God. Your spirit needs God. Your soul needs God. For that matter, your body needs God. But because we were made alive, we are now a new creature. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, we're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. 
And now, as living spirits and souls of God, we need him. So the psalmist starts out by saying, how beloved. I know it says lovely, but the word there is really beloved. How beloved are your dwellings or your dwelling places? How beloved are the places of your dwelling? Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Psalm 27, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, always singing your praise. One thing I've desired, to dwell in your house, to abide in your house. What is God's house? It's just Abiding in him. We'll get to that in a moment. Always. Matter of fact, now, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I abide in you. We need that connection. We have that connection. But if we only live by the trappings of Christianity... If we're only satisfied with doing the things of God instead of connecting with the God of the things, we will not experience the fullness and the richness of the life that God has for us. To keep going and to keep being productive, we need God himself. We need his breath. And, of course, his breath comes to us. By the Holy Spirit. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. I am the vine. You are connected to me. You are the branches. That is where we receive our supply. You need spiritual supply. I need spiritual supply. When I don't get spiritual supply, I get carnal. I get dry. I resemble a dead man again, although I'm not. What I'm saying to us today is we we need to continue in a daily, personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. A daily, every day, communicate with God. Every day, draw from God. Every day, draw from God's people. For you remember that it's through the joints, Ephesians 4.16, through the, it's through the joints that the supply happens, through the body of Christ. And so through the body of Christ, as Phil said, you know, you it's kind of hard to do that if you're not connecting with people. Through the body of Christ, we receive this supply of God, and it's coming from the vine, capital V, where we learn to trust, where we live in prayer, where we live in obedience to God. Which brings us songs like, I need thee every hour. Think about that. I need thee every hour. Uh, Songs like, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and he walks with me and he talks with me. Those are songs that come out of a heart that recognizes we need that. It's not just that we enjoy it, which we do. You gotta have it. Your, your soul longs for that whether you know it or not. Abide in Him. 
John writes in his letter by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Oh, Lord, help me. You see, because every one of you who have been regenerated by God's power and by the power of his spirit, every one of you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and God has given you his Holy Spirit, and you can recognize his Holy Spirit in your life if you abide in him, if you have intentionally made your direction that you would abide in him through connection, through the scripture, please, please, no matter what you do, no matter what, what, what you do in God, always remain tethered to the word of God. Don't ever get away from the word of God. But remember that the word of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, brings us to Jesus Christ. If you just read the word of God and you see laws, you're not reading it right. You got to read the scripture and see Jesus and bring you and let it bring you to him. We need the presence and the activity of his Holy Spirit in our lives as evidence that we are abiding in Christ. You say, well, I'm not that spiritual. I'm not either. So what you're the pastor. That doesn't matter. I'm not a spiritual person. I'm really not. I wish I was. But I know when the Holy Spirit is in me. And I can recognize the activity of God's Spirit in me. And you can too. Don't think you've got to have a piece of paper calling you a clergy to do that. You don't. As a matter of fact, you'd, that'd be a sin to wait for that paper. Thank you, Lord. You understand that? I'll take that as he is. The second stanza says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Where do you gain your strength? Where do you try to gain your strength? Do you try to get it through knowledge? Do you try to get your strength through your own efforts, through your own abilities? Nothing wrong with knowledge, and there's nothing wrong with being diligent. But if you think that's where your spiritual and stamina strength is coming from, you're mistaken. He says, blessed are those who strengthen you in whose heart are the highways. This version says to Zion. It literally means in whose hearts are highways. What we're dealing with here, and there's four or five versions that you may have. What we're dealing with here is the idea of pilgrimage. Blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord and whose hearts are on a pilgrimage. You and I are pilgrim, are being pilgrims through this world. We're walking through this world as citizens of another country, as citizens of another place. And yet we're here as pilgrims going about our lives, uh, establishing and extending the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're pilgrims. And our strength is in the fact that we keep going in him. And we keep finding that strength. Here's the key. The scripture says the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We're on a pilgrimage. 
He says something interesting. Well, I guess he says everything that's interesting, but really interesting. He says, as they go through the valley of Baca, that's a word that means tears. Many people believe it actually just means the valley of lamentations. Some people in some of the songs use the term veil of tears, and they get that from this verse. Going through, do, do we, uh, can we uh, identify with a valley of tears? I'll take that as a yes. Can we identify with times in our life when we are experiencing a certain amount of lamentations? If you're not, I'd like to bring you a newspaper or a TV news broadcast and let you watch it, and then you'll be in the Valley of Tears. But watch what happens. Watch what happens here. They go through this valley of lamentation and they make it a place of springs. Early rain covers it with pools. The valley of tears, the valley of lamentations, they make it springs. And I would like to add of living water. Because the valley of tears does not have to overcome you. We talked about, Don talked about this earlier. The valley of, of tears, the valley of lamentations does not have to overcome you. You do not have to be governed by sadness and sorrow. You can turn that into springs. In the springs of God. Which gives you a perspective in the house of God. If you can see what God sees. I know I know what's going on in our country. That's why I said God help us when he named the name Ronald Reagan. Now I'm going to get political. Y'all just hang on. <laughs> and I know some of you are not going to agree with this. Well, just uh, you, you can take me off your Facebook page. You can take me off your Twitter. You can take me off your Instagram. I don't care. If I'm there <laughs> in the southern vernacular, it ain't me. Ronald Reagan was the greatest president we've ever had in modern times. And he didn't stop all the abortions and he didn't, he, there's a lot of stuff he didn't do, but he restored to this country patriotism and, and, and the love of this country. I'm, I'm as far as I'm going to go. Except say, Lord help us. Lord help us. You know, when you say that, you have to understand that he does. You can look at all, I mean, I see things happening around the country. I mean, people in Seattle or somewhere got into a fist fight over masks. I mean, I almost never wear a mask. Probably won't. But I'll fight for your right to wear one. Not literally, but I will stand up with you for your right to wear one. 
And I'm not going to get start beating up on people because, oh, Lord. That's just crazy. That's just crazy. But when God sees what's going on in our world, he doesn't see what you see. And I want to be in that place of of the perspective of God in that place where the lamentation turns into springs of living water so that I can see God's perspective. Okay. I'm not running for office. I would run away from it if I could. Matter of fact, somebody said, why don't you run for a public office? I said, well, why don't I just go out in the yard and get a sharp stick and poke myself in the eye and get it over with, (laughs) be done with it. Wow, yeah. Verse 7 says they go from strength to strength. That's they is us, by the way. They go from strength to strength. I thought of the verse, 2 Corinthians 5, that says that we go from glory to glory. Incremental growth. Strength to strength. Not strength to weakness. But strength to strength. Where does our strength come from? Well, that's verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. New levels of strength. He finishes that stanza by saying, Give ear, O God. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Hear my prayer. Third stanza. We trust in God, our protector. Third, third stanza says, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed, for the day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. No matter what you see going on around the world today, uh, church in church, society out of society, no matter, it doesn't matter, it matters, but it doesn't matter in this sense that God is still your shield. God is still your protector. Well, I might die. Well, what horrible thing could happen to a person who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior and they die? Uh, You get to go to heaven. You know, uh, I've said many times there are a lot worse things than dying. For a believer. Now, if you're not a believer, that's a whole different ballgame. But God is your protector. God is your shield. He said, Lord, look upon the one whom you've anointed king. Now, some people think this applies to Jesus. It does in a dual sense. The word there, anointed, is the word for Messiah. But David's really talking about himself. Imagine David saying, uh, Lord, look on your king. And the Lord said, isn't that you? Yeah, that's me right here. Look on the one you anointed. You go to Samuel, First Samuel, it says that he anointed him. As the king. He said, look on me. I said, David. He said, look on, he's talking about David. He's not talking about himself. Look on your king. Look on your anointed. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. A day in your courts will protect me. It will guard me. He goes on to say, Lord is a sun and a shield. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. Everybody say no good thing. 
you're still awake. No good thing does he withhold. Now, I got to say, I'm not going to spend much time there, that it does qualify for those who walk uprightly. Blessed, the last line, blessed is the one who trusts God or trusts in God. So, yeah, I trusted Jesus as my Savior 55 years ago. Do you trust him today? Do you trust him in light of circumstances? Do you, as we sang earlier, do you trust him when everything's going great? And do you trust him when everything's going down? When everything's crumbling, when the doctor has given you a bad diagnosis, when your employer has said something to you you didn't want to hear, are you, are you trusting him when there's relationship issues in your house? Are you trusting him then? Are you trying to fix it? Now, I'm not trying to turn us into spiritual eggheads this morning, and I'm not trying to make us so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. I'm trying to make us so heavenly minded that we are earthly good. I've told you before, I'd rather deal with a demon-possessed person than someone with a religious spirit because they make me sick. I would tell you what I mean, what I really think, but I'll just try to tone that down a little bit. I'm not trying to make us religious. I'm not trying to make us... uh, Well, I guess that sums it up. I'm not trying to make us religious people. I'm trying to teach us that we need God. And in that needing of God, we find our strength in Him. And once we realize that, we settle the fact that He is our shield and our protector. And that's what the sons of Korah are communicating to us in this psalm. Blessed is the one who trusts in God. I know what adverse circumstances look like. I know what uncomfortable places and situations look like. I know all about that. Like Rob said, I remember something. But I also know what happened when I said, God, I'm going to trust you. I said to someone recently, I have to trust God you have to trust God. So well, I don't have to do anything. Well, it's this way. There's nobody else. There's nobody else for you to trust in. Say like nobody. Nobody. Nobody for you to nowhere you can go. And you know, the disciples, all the people left Jesus when he made the commitment, hey, if you eat my flesh, drink my blood, they said, Ooh, he's getting he's getting serious about this thing. They hit the road, Jack. And Jesus, not a very good pastor, because he invited the, what was left to go. You should never. I mean, he said, "Do y'all want to go too?" He didn't, he didn't go to seminary and learn that. I can tell you. And Peter, in Granger vernacular, in the Granger paraphrase, Peter said, "We looked." And we couldn't find anywhere to go. There's an old gospel song, old gospel song, entitled, Where Could I Go? Where could I go but to the Lord? comes from that passage. And Peter is saying, yeah, we, we, we kind of looked around a little bit. 
We did. I mean, you know, I mean, how else could he say, uh, we, you know, where could we go? Well, the only reason he could say that because he looked somewhere to go. I'm going to tell you something, saints. You don't have anywhere to go. You have nowhere to go. You have no one to place your trust in except God himself. So why don't you just let go of some things and trust God for once and let it go? Stand with me.